You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up in the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely the darkness will hide me, the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depth of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me. You who are bloodthirsty, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting such a powerful passage of scripture and honestly one of my favorites in the psalm psalm 139 maybe for some of you it's some of your favorites as well maybe for some of you it's the first time that you're hearing it but i think that that for any of us regardless if it's the first time that we're reading this passage of scripture or it's something that we know we can pretty easily pick up the idea that the really the main idea of this passage is that that god knows us it's interesting when we start to think about the idea of, of God actually of knowing us, really of anyone knowing us. It reminds me of um, something we've been walking through as a family recently. My, uh, my youngest daughter, Leah, uh, just graduated from Memorial High School. Um, and uh, I posted some pictures on Instagram about it not too long ago. We, uh, for graduation, decided that we, even though we weren't going anywhere, we would go ahead and dress up. She would put on her cap and gown and, uh, and we would do the full ceremony while watching on TV. TV graduation, we had really good seats. And, uh, and so next year, she is on her way to be a freshman at Iowa State University. And uh, we're excited to be able to get her there. Hopefully with COVID, it's all still gonna happen. But one of the things that she's walked through in this season was figuring out really who was gonna be her, her roommate. 
Now, I, um, I'm guessing that for a lot of us, you had the same experience that I did when you were trying to figure out who it was that you were gonna room with. Basically, you had no say in it for the most part. It was just the school that you went to assigned you a roommate and it was like, well, hope you guys get together and get along for your freshman year. But, but now, today's day and age, it's completely different. It was for my daughter, Hannah, who goes to the University of Georgia, and it was for Leah as well, where you go on this website and you create a profile, you know, and you put down all kinds of information about yourself to let people know who it is that you are, and then everyone starts to check out each other's profiles to start learning more information, and you find out things about people, and they're finding out things about you. It, like, it honestly feels more like online dating than anything. And so this is what Leah went through. And as she did that, she found um, a, another freshman, a female named Emma from Iowa. And uh, they DM'd each other and then started texting each other. It finally got on FaceTime and they decided that from what they knew about each other, they would go ahead and give it a shot and room together for this freshman year. So there you go. Leah's got a roommate. But I think that, I think that all of us would agree Emma and, and Leah, they, they know about each other, but they don't really know each other. You know, like it's gonna, it's gonna take a good bit of the school year before they get to the place of where they honestly would say that they know each other. Because we all know that knowing about somebody and, and knowing someone is completely different. Like to actually get to the place of knowing someone takes a lot of work. You know, when we think about that in our own lives, we know about a lot of people, but there are very few people who we really know. Like, think about that. Who, who in your life really knows you? Not like the social media you, not the like Sunday church you, not the workplace you, you know, not this college school you, not the very best of you in every situation or the very worst of you in every situation, but really knows you. You know, when I think about it from that perspective, there are very few people who do. And really, if I think about it, the person who knows me best is actually me. You know, because I, I, like, I, know, I know my thoughts, I know my emotions, I know the things that go on inside of me that no one else is able to see. But you see, for, for David, as he writes this, this psalm, Psalm 139, this poem that he writes, the picture that we get is that he's blown away by the idea that has struck him that God knows him so unbelievably well. Let's go ahead and, and take a look at the passage together for just a minute. If you want to turn in your Bibles or on your smartphone, whatever you have to Psalm 139. And uh, let's take a, look about, take a look at this together, starting with verse one. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind, and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now, one of the things that we need to remember with this is that, is that David is writing poetry. And, and in this particular poem that he writes, he's using a particular literary device called um, a, a merism. A, a merism is like uh, two opposites that, that point towards 
um, really the entirety of the phrase. Two polar sides that really paint a picture of everything all encompassing between them. So like an example of a marism would be um, marriage vows that you might hear. You know, when I took Rachel to be my wife, I said that I would love and commit to her for for better or for worse, for, for richer or for poorer, in sickness or in health. You see, everybody in hearing that knows that I'm not just saying that like, I'm gonna love Rachel when we're really rich or when we're really poor, but like everything else in the middle class is kind of up for grabs. No, you get the idea. This is a merism, these two extremes. You see, this is what David uses in this Psalm over and over again, and he uses it to point out two different attributes that we find incredibly true about God. One is, is that God is um, all-knowing. Like he is, um, the, like the, the churchy theological word for it is that he is omniscient, that God knows everything. You know, there, there is nothing outside of God's knowledge. We hear this, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you know both. You perceive my, far, my, my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. We see merisms that are taking place there in the, uh, in the passage. That God knows everything. In other words, God's never learning anything new. And that comes all the way down to his personal relationship with us. God's never learning anything new about us. He knows everything. I mean, think about that. Like when I think about my own life, I know that I'm learning things new about myself. I'm guessing that you're still learning stuff about you. Like even during this COVID season, I'm guessing that you've learned new things about you. Maybe like a new Netflix show that you like to binge watch, or maybe um, a, a new hobby that you picked up. Maybe you learned how to make masks. You didn't know how to do that before. Or maybe, maybe you, um, you realized that you look different than you thought you did and you've realized it from all the Zoom calls that you've been on. Has anybody else realized anything like that? Like I realize as I watch myself on my screen in Zoom calls that like I make really funny facial expressions sometimes. I had no idea that I ever made. And like sometimes like my neck looks kind of weird. Anybody else realize that type of thing? You see, God already knew that I had a weird looking neck. You know, he doesn't learn anything new. I'm learning new and yet he doesn't learn anything new about me. And, and he paints a really cool picture to the level which he knows us in, in verse four, where it says this, before a word is on my tongue, you Lord know it completely. I mean, think about that whole idea. Like, have you ever, have you ever had a situation where you said something and immediately you regretted it. Like you, you, you make a statement to someone and, and after you say it and you're looking back, you go, man, where did that come from? You see, God knows exactly where it came from. He knows that the, the nerves that were hit inside of you. He knows the damage that was done earlier in life that would cause you to react that particular way. He knows your, your anxieties and your fears and your anger and your frustration that comes out in a moment like that. He knows all of that stuff inside us better than we know ourselves. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing about everything going on inside of us. He knows every molecule, every fiber that makes up who we are today. He's omniscient. But that's not the only attribute that David points to in this particular passage. He goes on to paint another attribute, again, with merisms. Let's go back to the passage, verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. See, again, merism, up to the heavens, down to the depths. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, in other words, the direction of the east, if I settle in the far side of the sea, where David was writing this, he was actually writing this where the sea was to the west of him. So from the east to the west, another merism. Even there, your right hand will guide me. Your, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. We get this picture in this section that, that God is, is everywhere. Theological term for that is that God is omnipresent. Like he is everywhere at one time. And it's not that God is you know, 10% over here and 6% over here and 14% over here. No, God is fully 100% present everywhere at the same time. You know, like when I was younger, I used to think that there were times where I could kind of like disobey God, you know, sin, step away from him. And so I would think I would kind of go over here and do my thing and then I could come back to God and ask forgiveness. But like the reality, according to this passage, is that God was with me even as I was over here in the same way that he was when I came back to ask forgiveness. You see, we get this picture that, uh, well, even though we might at times feel distant from God, God is not distant from us. Even though we might feel times where we, we fall away from God or we pull away from God, that God never pulls away from us. He is present with us all the time. He is all-knowing, and he is always present with us. Now, when we really start to unpack that idea of the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, he knows everything about me, and he is always with me, <laughs> it can start to feel a little awkward. Like, it can start to feel a little bit like, like an invasion of privacy in some ways. And like, in our Western culture, privacy is huge. Like, that's a hot topic. You know, and one that we continue to bring up due to like where we're headed in the world. It's kind of like, well, as our, uh, as, our, um, as our devices get smarter or as our appliances get smarter, we get more fearful that they're watching us all the time. You know, like, like have you ever had a situation where, you know, you had your phone present, you were having a conversation about someone or with someone about something that you liked. And, and the next day you find that on your phone, you're getting advertisements for the things that you talked about. <laughs> Is that just coincidence? I don't know. You know, like there are ways or, or, or like anyone else here, are you a person who on your laptop computer, you put a little piece of tape or a sticky note over the camera because you're sure that there is someone who is just always watching. You see, like privacy is a big deal to us. And so we get freaked out when we think about the invasion of privacy, identity theft, all of these different things that take place because we think, man, people have ulterior motives. Like people are, are sinful, they are messed up, we're not sure if we can trust them, you know, and so therefore we want our, our privacy. But when we think about God, well, God's different. You see, this passage, it points towards the idea that surely darkness will not hide me and the light will become like night around me. The, the night will shine like the day for darkness becomes light to you. We get this picture that God is light. In fact, in, in, in the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, there's a verse that says God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. In other words, there is no sin. 
There's no selfish motives. There's no alternative ideas. There's no, nothing that he is using in order to build himself up and tear us down. And they, like God is completely for us. Loves us, he, he loves us more than we can understand or imagine. Therefore, we can trust him. Like when we think about this invasion of privacy that we feel, this is really like, like a glorious invasion of privacy to the, the one who we would want to have in our lives, helping us to understand who we truly are. And, and that invasion of privacy, man, that's been going on for our entire lives. Let's continue in the passage as David begins to move that direction in this poem. Verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Okay. This passage gets very intimate about the way that God knows us from the moment that we were created. From the moment we were created, God, God knew us. God knew us before we were created. Like, think about that. So for, for a, <laughs> this is interesting, for a very short period of time, God is the only person who knew that you existed. Like from the time that you were conceived until there was like a pregnancy test or a doctor who said, yep, you're pregnant. God's the only one who knew that you existed. It goes even, it goes even farther than that though. It's not just that God knew that we existed. This passage, it gives us the idea that God begins his involvement in our lives, not when we are born, but, but like before we are born. This points towards something that the Bible is talking about that is not necessarily accepted in culture today. Look, sometimes the Bible is going to step in and challenge the, the dominant worldview of the culture that we live in. This is one of those times. Like in this passage, we are painted a picture that God begins his relationship with us, not when we are born, but before we are born, when we are in the womb, when, when, think about this, when we are in the place where we are most dependent, vulnerable, and fragile, God meets us with his tender love and care. Like, and look, I, I know that this gets to be a contentious subject. Legal abortion is a subject today that, um, man, is just a political hot button. And, and with me making these statements today about God's relationship with us before we are born, I am not, I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to be biblical. There are a few passages in scripture that talk about God's relationship with unborn babies. This is one of those passages. That's why we're moving towards it today. And God calls us to be people as, as those of us who are Christians to, to base our life upon scripture. You know, and, and, and look, I... I know that for some of you, you might disagree with this. I know that for some of you too, this gets to a more personal level because you have had an abortion. 
You're listening right now and you might be ready to click me off. Or maybe you have been with somebody and encouraged them to have an abortion. And this can get awkward. And part of it is because the church has failed in this area in so many different ways. Like the church has been a place that has come across as um, angry and, and judgmental towards people who have had abortions more so than compassionate. That is our bad. That is something that we need to apologize for. So if, if you are in that place where you have had an abortion or if you disagree with me, the thing that I wanna say right now is welcome to Blackhawk. Like we're so glad that you're here. And look, we, we desire for our church to be a place where we can have the hard conversations, where we don't just tiptoe around the edges of the things that we might disagree on, the things we might not see eye to eye on, but we, we're willing to like move towards those things completely straightforward with the hopes that as we talk, that God would cause us to understand each other and love each other greatly and understand to a greater level who God is, how his word should affect our lives, that we might love him more. Because, because here's the thing, even if you've had an abortion, if you've moved that direction, encourage somebody, God, God knows you. He knows everything that took place in your life. That's what this passage is saying. And not only that, it's not just that he knows you, he loves you. And it's not just that he's saying, well, sure, you did that, so just go on with your life. No, it's God loves you and he has a plan for your life. That is true for every single one of us here. God loves us even in spite of the fact that he knows everything we've ever done. And God has a plan for the way that he desires to use us. I mean, look in this passage. It says, all of the days ordained for me were written in your book before they came to be. Think about what that means. It means that, man, God did not just like make us and say, well, good luck. Like he creates us at this particular time in human history in order to use us in some way to be able to fix the things in this world that are broken. Some of you have a really hard time believing that right now. We read the words that David says, you know, if I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and you look at yourself and go, I am far from being fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me just tell you that is not true. You, you are not a mistake. You are not unnecessary. You are not an accident. You are not an oops. God desires to be able to take your life, to use you, to, he created you. He desires to mold us and shape us and transform us into his image and to use us in this world with the spiritual gifts that he's given us, with the natural abilities that he's given us to be able to answer part of the problem that is in this world due to the brokenness of sin. God has invited you into his big story of what he is doing to redeem the world and he desires to use you in that process. Somebody in the chat better be saying amen right now. God desires for us to be a part of his big story. He knows us better than we know ourselves and he desires in the same way for us to get to know him. That's where David continues in this passage. Let's continue reading. Verse 17 how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You see, God doesn't just want us to know that he knows us. He invites us into this place to get to know him, to realize that like, he is a, he is a, there is depth to God that we will ne never hit the bottom of. His thoughts are like 
more than the grains of sand on the planet. And he invites us into this relationship to be able to know him that way because as we know him better, our passion for him grows. And that's what we see take place in David. We begin to see his passion laid out, although he does lay his passion out a little awkwardly right here. Let's read with verse 19. If only God, you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. (laughs) Okay. David's passionate. We pick up on that really quickly. Might be good in this moment if he were to kind of step back from the poem and count to 10. Maybe do like a little mindfulness training or something like that. But we pick up on the idea, I guarantee he's passionate. And under, it really, in order to understand his passion, we've got to realize who David was. I mean, who's the author of this poem? I mean, David, David was a warrior king. He was a leader of soldiers who went out against different tribes and nations that were trying to destroy the people of Israel and their God. That's who's writing these words. But there's something else I think even deeper, I just love about reading a passage of scripture like this in the Psalms. Something that we see over and over again in the Psalms. It's that God allows human emotion to be expressed without judgment. Think about that. David doesn't know that he like, as he's penning these words that like he's writing scripture. He has no idea of that. He's just writing a poem in order to build his relationship with God. And, and God made sure that like the angry parts of this psalm were not like washed away. He made sure that they were in there. You see, I think that for us, that gives us incredible freedom to be able to realize that like when we're angry, when we're frustrated, when we have these feelings that it's not like we have to hide them from God. I mean, already we've realized that like he knows everything. You know, he's present with us all the time. And so to bring these things before God without judgment But David also in this, in his passion for God, he turns a corner. And that's what we see in these last two verses. And honestly, I wish that we could have taken the whole time to be able to just look at these two verses. They are like the the pinnacle of this entire psalm. Like if there's a part that you want to make a screensaver on your phone or write on a three by five card to put up somewhere in your house or get tattooed on your body somewhere, these are the go-to verses that you wanna be able to move towards. David says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, now, why would David be praying this? Like, the words that he said, at the, like think back to the very beginning of this psalm where he said, God, you have searched me and you know me. He already knows that God completely knows him. Why would he be coming back around at this place to be able to say, search me, oh God, and, and, and know my heart? It's because, you see, David is not doing this so that God will step in and learn something new about David. It's because David in this moment realizes that he needs to learn something new about David. David needs to learn more of David. In other words, David realizes that he has blind spots. 
There are things in his life that he doesn't know that he can't see. And so he decides that the greatest step for him to take out of his passion for God is opening himself up to allowing God to show David who David really is because God knows David better than he knows himself. And so David opens the door and invites God in to be able to do work in his life that needed to be done. What would it look like if we followed David's example that way? (laughs) Like what would it look like for us to be people who prayed this prayer? God, search me and know my heart. God, would you test me and, and know my anxious thoughts? Would you see, God, if there's anything offensive going on in we, and ultimately, would you be the one that leads me? Because like, if there's anything that I see in, in the world right now, with everything that is going on, there's some incredible stuff going on in culture that I believe, personally, is going to change the world for the better. But something else that I see taking place in the midst of all the stuff that's happening right now, is people are angry. Like politically, sides are polar and, and they're getting farther apart from one another. And people just have anger and hatred and disdain for one another. And the thing is, is that oftentimes when we get to places like that, we look at other people who think differently than us and we're able to see what we think are their blind spots. Blind spots can be really easy to see in other people's lives, but the problem is we turn around and we can't see our own blind spots. Why? Well, because they're blind spots. David realizes this about himself. What would it look like for us to be people who are willing to to open our, our, our hands from the things that we grip so tightly, to open our hands and open our lives up to God, to open our hearts to him to be able to do transforming work. Because see, it's one thing in a passage like this to realize that God knows us. But it's a different thing to invite God to do a transforming work. And transforming work happens by invite only. In other words, transformation happens by an invitation to God's glorious invasion. Come on, someone put something in the chat right now for that one. Transformation happens through an invitation to the glorious invasion of God. And that takes place when we, we take our hands and our fingers off of the grip of our lives and lay them before God and say, God, here's my life. Here's my heart. You see, the reality is in the world that we live in right now, look, legislation's important. Politics are important. Laws are important. But they're not going to change our hearts The things that we need in our lives right now, we need heart transformation, every single one of us. That's why the world needs the church in such a deep way. It's because the only one who can do that for us is the one who knows each and every one of us better than we know ourselves. The only one who can do that is God. So what does it look like for us to be able to take our fingers off of our lives and to say, God, would you search me? And would you know me that I might know myself better. God, would you, would you test me and know 
my anxious thoughts, all the things that get me frustrated and angry and fearful of the future and depressed and worried about what's gonna happen. God, know those things. Help me to know them differently. God, see if there is any offensive way in me in the way that I speak towards people about what I believe regardless of what others believe. In the, way that I, in the way that I post on social media, in the way that I comment, in the way that I throw different things out there, in the things that I think. God, see if there is any offensive way in me. And God, would you be the one to lead me towards your, your love, your truth, the only things that are truly everlasting. What I want to do for just a minute um, I, I, I know everybody's watching at, at home right now or at different places and, and I'm inviting you to do something. You don't have to do this. But I just want to uh, invite all of us to, to do something that might be a little uncomfortable physically and, and just like emotionally, personally. I want to invite, invite all of us just to kneel right now wherever you are and to open our hands that we would be people who like David came before God humbly. And I want to simply, I just want to lead us through this prayer that God would do a work inside of us that only he can do. And so God, would you search us and would you know our hearts? God, would you be the one to test us and to know our anxious thoughts? all of the things that we get worked up about. God, would you see and reveal to us any offensive way in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the way that we email, in the way that we post? Would you see if there is anything offensive? And God, would you be the one to lead us towards your love, your grace, your truth, that we might move in the way of everlasting. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.